When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. My opinion is a bad idea. I think when you can slow it down <clears throat> frame by frame and do a letter of the law, that it can be very ticky-tacky. I mean, I sat in with the coaches, you know, yesterday, and we talked about one play that they slowed down frame by frame by frame. It was pass inference. Even the offensive coaches didn't want that call. That was Mike Zimmer at the NFL's owners' meetings down in Phoenix. This is Purple Daily. I'm Rami Makloff with Judd Zolgad, Manny Hill on the other side of the glass. We're on Score North on 1500, scorenorth.com, and streaming live. You can watch our beautiful faces at Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. And if you want to get in on the show, dial us up at 651 646 8255 or tweet us at SKOR North. And uh, Zimmer there talking about the. Move that was approved by the NFL owners in a what was described as a massive philosophical expansion of the league's replay review system, Judd. And uh, there was a lot of pressure from coaches and fans after the missed pass interference call in the NFC Championship game. And for at least the 2019 season, pass interference, offensive and defensive, will be reviewable. And they're the first penalties ever in the league's replay history system to be added to the list of approved items. And for the first time, coaches will be able to challenge non-calls That's the interesting. for pass interference. And, and that, that, of course, goes back uh, to the, the very heart of the debate that began or the controversy that began in the Saints-Rams game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is going to be very interesting. It's not surprising. I was convinced when the National Football League, as much as they can embarrass themselves at times, does not like to purposely embarrass itself, and that was embarrassing. And I think the day after that call was made, we went on this very show and talked about the fact that something was going to be done, and it will be done now. How this plays out, I don't know. Zimmer brought up the point, though, that I have said a thousand times before, and it's the one thing that drives me crazy about rule changes in March. These guys sit in a room, right? And they slow things down in the best HD possible in the world. Right. And they basically go through and say, oh, you know, we what we should do is we should address that call and this call. And, and of course, they're enjoying a couple cocktails, the HD is crystal clear. So so his point is well taken, but I don't know how this is going to, to shake out. I'm sure that there are going to be problems at times, but this was coming. You had to do something. Like, you couldn't sit there after that Saints-Rams game and be like, mm-hmm. oh, it won't happen again. And, in fact, I saw the competition committee, I think, came back and also said that there was a missed uh, call in the Super Bowl on a similar type of play between the Patriots and Rams that would have put the ball at, like, the Patriots' two-yard line. The point being was something was going to happen. They couldn't just sit there and accept it. Are you in favor of the move or against the move? You you seem to be say, just be saying that basically it was inevitable. Yeah, uh, I'm in favor of the fact that after the debacle that, that we saw, I guess my frustration is this. How did that refereeing crew, that officiating crew, just not get that call right? right. Like, if they get that call in that Saints-Rams game and throw the flag, 
This conversation is not taking place. But but that being said, I am in favor of I'm in favor of getting something right that was so in such a key game was so egregiously wrong. That's what always irritates the hell out of me about the NFL, which is that rather than just trying to get things right before they go wrong, they react to public outrage. And I'll go back to the Ray Rice incident where you had pretty solid evidence that this man at, at very at the very least slapped, if not closed fist, punched a woman in an elevator. The NFL pretty much knew that. Whether or not they saw the tape, and I 100% believe they saw the tape, but whether or not they saw the tape, they knew that, and they didn't decide to hand down a proper suspension until the tape got out to the public and there was public outrage, and then they were like, oh, 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 yeah. Now, let's go to now rules, let's Rami. get it right. And, and now... You're saying that the only reason that this yes. rule passed, and it wouldn't have passed if not for a blown up. call in the NFC Championship. The, but it's been being brought up by coaches like Bill Belichick for years yeah, but that the, everything should be reviewable. But now because there is public outrage because it was on the big stage of the NFC Championship yes. for everybody to see. And it was plain as day that that was pass interference and helmet-to-helmet contact. So everybody loses their mind in the NFL fan base. And now the NFL feels the need to react. This could have all been avoided, and they could have avoided the embarrassment of that NFC Championship game if they just did the right thing before there was public outcry for the right thing. And my God, have competent officials. That wasn't a close call. Like they didn't. Like that was not a. Oh boy, if they had just had replay, they no. That was an egregious screw up beyond anyone's comprehension of how you can be so stupid as to not throw that flag. But. You're right. I will give you the, to me, on-field rules, right, which which this league reacts to and either publicly tweaks and or privately changes completely. The Super Bowl here, they changed the catch rule. Mm-hmm. They just didn't tell people. Mm-hmm. Now, the catch rule that they changed it to actually made sense. But if they don't change that rule, Philadelphia does not win that game. Right. Be, so, so this league, you are right. I guess where I land is I'm not giving this league a pass. Because this is still embarrassing. Right. And how they got here is is dysfunctional and embarrassing. But I am saying that after what we saw and after what we went through, something had to change. Like, it would be foolish to sit here and be like, they shouldn't change that rule. If your officials are that bad, then you got to change it. Like, you can't have that. Right. But yes, this league in no way, shape, or form gets any type of pass on the incompetence it shows. And the fact that Goodell... Behind the scenes, pulls the puppet strings at every turn. Goodell, Goodell is Goodell is the dad who's a complete embarrassment, right? Call me Roger. Uh, Mr. Goodell was my father. It's like, you're a buffoon. But what is he doing? He's trying to constantly be cool. And he's trying to avoid being embarrassed. And so this is another case where Raj, not Mr. Goodell, got embarrassed. And so now he's like, we got to fix this. It will have some drawbacks, some residual side effects, one of which you, you talked about a second ago, which is... We're going to see referees going frame by frame, watching these replays and and calling pass interference on things that would never be called pass interference in the past. Because if you slow something down enough, you'll probably see pass interference on a lot of pass plays where it wasn't being called before. And the other potential drawback or residual side effect from this, I didn't think about it until my brother tweeted this at me. My brother, who's in town, by the way, and could have just said it to my face. And I don't like to give him credit. Social media man, no. No. (laughs) I don't blame your brother one bit. I wouldn't talk to you either. And I don't like to give him credit, but I would give him credit here. It was a solid point at ShoddyMac34. He says, going to be interesting the first time there's a challenge on a non-PI call on a Hail Mary. There will be unintended consequences here. And he's right, because on almost any Hail Mary you can find pass interference. Like 99 times out of 100 on a Hail Mary, you can find pass interference. And referees mostly choose to just look the other way unless it's egregious and a receiver is like being pulled down to the ground by his shoulder pads. Absolutely, yeah. And now you're going to see teams throwing Hail Marys and throwing almost immediately, as soon as that ball falls on the ground, just drop that red flag and call for a pass interference challenge. You'll see that all the time. And teams will get some cheap yards doing that. But... 
My response to him, and I didn't respond on Twitter because he was walking over to my house when he sent that tweet, so I just said it to his face. This is a you problem. (laughs) Just respond on Twitter next time, okay? So we can all see the response. (laughs) Whatever blowback there is, and and what you said before about going frame by frame through these replays, this this potential uh, pratfall of of replay on, on Hail Marys, I'm okay with that residual blowback if it means getting every call or close to every call right. I just want mm-hmm. I want it to be as good as it can be when it comes to when it comes to officiating and refereeing and umpiring across sports. And I know it'll never be perfect, but this is why I want the electronic strike zone and robot umpires and baseball. Let's get it as right as we possibly can. And if that means that somebody gets a cheap Hail Mary, if that means that referees are going frame by frame and calling pass interference on things that would have never been called pass interference in the history of the NFL, then fine. We're going to get as many of the right calls and, and as close to the most true outcome as we can possibly get. Let's take the incompetent officials off the, the hook, which is the key thing here, which is what we had. The Saints game was incompetent. Um, now, I do believe, to your brother's point, though, I think that this is still going to remain in the purview of the replay system as we know it. Yeah, which in means, the last two minutes. Right, That's right. true. So you can't which necessarily throw the Which means that if I throw the, throw the ball up right. and I'm a coach and I'm mad, it, it still has to come from the booth. Now, that could happen, but at least then it, it's not completely... On the coach, referees can continue to yes. just look the other way on pass interference. Well, it's going to be. I mean, how how do you? He, he's got a good point. How do you? You're going to have there is inevitably somebody grabbing somebody, right? OPI or DPI, right? Right. So there's going to be something there. Uh, the other thing that's going to be really interesting to watch, though, is how the, how closely this is going to be enforced in the course of a regular season game. Let's say let's say we're seven minutes left, first quarter, week three. All right. And I throw my challenge flag, and now I've I have essentially wasted a challenge potentially. Mm-hmm. Are the officials going to go back and look really close and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's it's borderline, but it's uh, but it, it's a defensive pass interference call, or are they going to be like, you know what, no way? And then I've lost one. So I think coaches coaches like Zim, who can be reactionary at times and throw the flag because he thought he saw something, are going to going to have to be careful here. I also would like to see a rule tied to this that that actually was put in place um, in hockey a couple of years back. So offsides on goals can be challenged, all right? But the first year of that, everyone was challenging. Like, you know, what the hell? Because it's close. Because it, it's, it's very much a close call like this one. And so the hockey people came back and said, it's too much. So if you're wrong, it's a two-minute delay of game penalty. I wonder if you should start to tie a five-yard delay of game penalty to the, to this challenge in particular if a team challenges it and, and is deemed wrong. Only this, on pass interference. Yes, because this seems to me to be a, the, a subjective type of call that comes very close to being like, well, let's just try it with no penalty other than a lost challenge. I'd like to see the lost challenge and a five-yard penalty for that. Since we're on the subject of this rule change not going far enough, my... Where I would like to see this go, and they have this in the AAF, which the NFL is trying to kill. We'll get to that a little later in the show. But they have this in the AAF, which is that the replay official is part of the real-time officiating crew. So he can, he can, you know, he's either in the ear or can buzz down to an official at any point in the game, and not just in the last two minutes, if he sees something, and if he sees it in real time. He's not sitting up there and going through it with a fine-tooth comb, but they have angles and they can see things on their monitors that you can't necessarily see on the field because of the speed of the game, the size of the guys who are getting in your way as you're trying to get in position to make the right call. The replay official is part of the real-time officiating crew, and he can call down to the guys on the field and say, hey, you missed pass interference on this, or you missed a really egregious holding call on this. And they can throw the flag right there on the spot based on a call that the official, the replay official up in the booth made. I think that should be, we have the technology now for that to be done Pretty efficiently, pretty easily, and pretty effectively. Wouldn't you think so? Yes. Yeah. In fact, the uh, a story that Kevin Seifert did for ESPN.com, our friend uh, who was at the meetings in Phoenix, he wrote, he wrote that many expressed interest in using a replay official already in the press box to alert the referee to an obvious mistake. 
So that's to your point, right? Which is, which is, I think what they were were thinking in the Saints game could have saved the entire process, right? But yeah, I'd be fine with that. It, it's as if it's weird. It's as if they're like, okay, we'll pass this rule, and it's going to be, but oh, but we're going to draw a line here, right? To, to we're going we're to wait until we're embarrassed by the next thing to before point, we go not? further. To your point, why not? I know. Like, why not involve the person to call, to call down and say, you know what, you I'm, we we are not so. This rule being passed for replay is not an attempt to like overturn a really close subjective call. We are trying to make sure that egregious, awful mistakes and blown calls don't occur. Right. So, yeah. so I'm with you. Go, go to whatever means you need to, to, to not go back and throw a flag on a ticky tack call, but a really, really important blown call. Yeah. That's all. That's all but, I'm looking but this for. This goes to your point, though. The league doesn't. The league never knows how to get from from point A to B without being embarrassed like, first. Yeah, they've got to go to yeah. like point D. It's like, no, you don't need to do that. <laughs> right. This isn't that hard. Yeah. Like you're making your own life. Your your popularity is beyond belief. So why are you making your own life so damn hard? It's it doesn't make any sense so, to me whatsoever. Right. They they are going to wait until they're embarrassed again, and then they'll go. You know what? We should have a replay official involved in real time officiating. No, really, no crap. You just thought of that now? Well, and, and especially on subjective calls, right? Right. So so if you, in, in fact, you could say, you could say involve, to your point, involve the replay official in pass interference calls. And so we don't get challenges. So coaches don't have, because if there's an egregiously blown call, mm-hmm. that person will call down. Right. And be like, I just looked at eight replays and you guys are idiots. And so I'm, I'm going to fix this for you. But instead of having this, and plus two, all right, think about this one. As if coaches don't have enough going on during the course of, of a game, is this going to mandate now that that a professional replay official type of person is hired by each team? I think they already have that. I think a lot of teams. Well, they've got guys. That. Yeah, they've got advisors. Right. But you know, there is no, there is no way that I want Zimmer ever deciding to challenge this call, especially against his defense. Because every time he's going to throw that damn flag, because he's he's right. going to be like, my guys played that part. The technique was great. So does this take us down even more of a path of it almost being mandatory that that the coach carries the flag and throws it, but has as little to do with actually executing the decision as possible? Did you see uh, Sean Payton's quotes about the rule changes? Yeah, I thought I thought you were the first person I thought about yeah, I when I saw this. When you talk about how smug and disingenuous Eric, Sean Payton is, just an arrogant jerk. There was an owe it to the game responsibility. Payton said after owners approved the measure, thirty-one to one. And really, I mean that. I think it's important that this isn't going to be perfect always. We know that the mere shape of the ball tells you it's not going oh. to bounce the same way. But these are fouls that the analysts are able to tell us they're the most impactful fouls. I think we got it right. And Judd, he did it only. For, for the game, because he, he owes it to the game. We all owe it to the game. And that it has nothing so, to do with his team is, getting screwed at the Payton NFC is, Championship. Sean Payton is so sanctimonious. <laughs> Can I say arrogant ass on this show at 1217? You just did. So Without you having to hit the dump button. <laughs> this is, if you look up arrogant ass in the dictionary, Sean Payton's picture is right there. Honest to God. And, and you know what? Just say, what? why not just say, we got screwed. I didn't like it. No one liked it. Except for the Rams. And Gail Benson, the owner of the Saints, she was very proud of Sean Payton. She said, it could have happened to any of the 31 teams. It happened to us, but I wanted the rule to change. It will be better for everyone because it will never happen again. I'm very proud of Sean. And by the way, he did a great job. You're right, though. You're right. What a sanctimonious. An NFL NFL person saying this will never happen. First of all, this certainly means that it will will. happen again. And And something else. There is something else they haven't taken care of that will happen again. That will be equally as embarrassing. You you changed that catch rule for the Super Bowl, and you didn't tell anybody. Think about that for a second. The NFL is such a mess, and still we just can't quit it. We just That's can't dr- quit no, it. It's a drug. We can't. It's a complete. It's a drug. It's and, a, it, and if you think no. it's a drug to us, wait till you hear what it's doing to Mike Zimmer. This is 
great. This dude's got a problem. Like, somebody might need to hold an intervention with Mike Zimmer, and we'll tell you why <laughs> when Purple Daily returns on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. Phil Mackey here from the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. We've made it easier than ever to find our team-centric Minnesota sports podcast. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, just search Score North, that's S-K-O-R, and you'll find Score North Vikings, for instance, which includes Purple Daily, Purple Podcast, and Vikings Ventline. Score North Wolves includes Raised by Wolves, Myron Medcalf on Hoops, and more. Score North Twins includes Touch Em All, Royce on Baseball, and more, and so on. Just search Score North, S-K-O-R, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. It's Purple Daily on Score North. And this portion of Purple... Scheming, thinking about ways. Hello, Vikings fans. That's Mike Zimmer at the NFL's owner meetings down in Phoenix. Little little issue with the with the playback video there. This is Purple oh, Daily. For that. All good. He loves Vikings fans. That's all we needed to yeah. hear. That's all we need to know is that Mike Zimmer loves Vikings fans, and we want to know if Vikings fans love Mike Zimmer, and if you're worried about Mike Zimmer after a piece at the Athletic the today. Really, I was reading this and going, this is a man with a problem. Like, if you replaced football with en- like any substance, gambling, anything that we consider addictive, we'd be talking about a guy who has a serious problem. Mike Zimmer and the Thrill of the Chase is the article by Chad Graff at, uh, at TheAthletic.com. And in it, they talk about, you know, how he goes home at the end of a season like they just had, where they went 8-7-1, and one, and he's just spent from the season, just exhausted, and he goes to his remote home in the woods of Kentucky, and he tries to relax and decompress and get away from football for a while, you know, like most people should do with high-stress jobs, but it's it's literally a matter of a week or two, Judd, before he's grinding tape again, and this is a guy who's had multiple eye surgeries just to keep his vision, and he just can't stay away still from grinding film back from then. Grinding tape, right? He was grinding tape. He was going to the eye doctor. He had like five procedures done. He would go back to a Winter Park at the time and grind tape. Nothing stops this guy from consuming football, <laughs> which you like. On the one hand, you lo- right. like you want that guy to be that guy, but he lost twenty pounds during the football season. He lost twenty pounds during the football. He- simply because he forgets to eat again if we're talking about any this is not all right this is not a bad idea if we're talking about but okay all right rami maybe you guys in the studio maybe (laughs) actually maybe maybe three of seth would would like to join us who just forget to eat (laughs) quick 20 pounds if we were talking about any addictive substance or any addictive behavior and somebody said yeah, I'm. I can. I keep doing it despite the fact I might lose my vision and I forget to eat sometimes because I'm so wrapped up in this thing. Yep. And oh yeah, I don't sleep enough, and it's having a really averse effect on my health and well-being. But I'm just gonna keep grinding. You'd be like, man, you got a problem. You need to stop. You need to go to some kind of organization that can help you with this problem. We'd all sit Mike Zimmer down for an intervention if he was our friend and he was talking about anything other than football. The way that he talks about football. So the, the story by Chad Graff is fantastic. It, it's a great read. And it's it's not surprising, but it is, again, enlightening in the amount of information it sheds on who Mike Zimmer is. But I disagree with you on one thing. He's not obsessed with football at all. He's obsessed with defensive football. <laughs> No, I'm serious. Read that story. Read that story, and every time, every time you can tell that there is there's passion in the quotes. It's not about our offense. It's not about our special teams. It's about the defense. It's everything. The man is uniquely, completely obsessed with stopping offenses, and it's getting worse because they're getting better. Um. I read through that though, and I just I think what you get is a guy whose life whose life's work, you know, some people got religion, some people probably got politics. His life's work is devoted to defensive football. And I'm not joking. I'm not joking. There is a quote in there, and I uh this is in Graf's story. I believe it came from the session that he uh, that Mike sat down for an hour with reporters on what would have been Tuesday and talked. Talking about defense, okay? 
We're going to try some different things this year defensively. I mean, like, really out-of-the-box kind of things a little bit. If we can be a little bit more unpredictable schematically and still be good at what we do, then that will be an advantage. This guy basically took an hour or two off and since then has been grinding film. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I but, know. No, but, 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 but he's not. But, but he's not. The interesting thing to me is the normal football coach might be like, okay, all right, I'm obsessed with this game, and I got to find a way to make Kirk Cousins better, right? Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins' improvement is the key to our football team. Mike took like two hours off at the ranch in Kentucky and started grinding film, not to look at Cousins, not to look at offensive line, not to look at anything on offense, not to look at his kickers. He started grinding film, trying to figure out a way that he can stop offenses in 2019. Just like he just tried to come up with a way to stop Bill Walsh's offenses yes. back in the eighties, which they go over in this article. And that's and and he and he is convinced that that when Walsh went to Stanford and Mike was where out west coaching at some at a school out west. Um, it's here in the Washington story. State, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. So so when Walsh went from San Francisco, the Niners to Stanford to coach, and he brought all of these new new ideas and schemes to college football. And and Stanford played Washington State. Yeah, it was Washington and State. And right. Zimmer was defensive coordinator, and Stanford had great success. He said, I remember going home to my wife yes. and saying, I can't figure these guys out. I've got to figure out what to do. And she said, ah, you'll get it. And, and, so, and so the next time he went against a Walsh disciple, um, he schemed a defense where yep. he just lined up his defense differently and said, in quote, we played great. I mean, you're right, but every waking hour is spent on one thing, stopping teams. And it's got and it's getting harder and harder and harder. But and I know most coaches have like to an extent an obsessive personality. Like that's how they get to the level that they're at. But and may, maybe I just haven't seen it. I don't know that I remember hearing about another coach literally suffering physically, like losing his vision, losing twenty pounds over the course of a season because he'd rather they coach and, and grind tape than eat. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, they, I think he might be taking this this thing too far, and I wonder how long a guy of his age doing it the way that he's doing it can continue to do it before he either has to retire or. And I I I pray that this doesn't happen. God forbid something worse than retirement happens to Mike Zimmer. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's a ton of stress. It's I'm, not healthy. No, if, if, I if read this thing and I was worried about the guy. If your point. <laughs> I swear, you, I read this thing. Watch him, watch him on game day and see how red his face gets. Oh, I've seen it. That's enough to concern you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. No, your your observation is exactly correct. But his obsession, I, I just think it's so interesting that he's in charge of, of the entire team. But it's so clear that his obsession is one thing. It's one thing. Like, he's not talking about cousins. He's not, if you ask him questions... He will answer those questions, and the answers certainly make sense. But he's not talking about being fixated on improving the O-line. He's not talking about being being all in on ma- making sure that the extremely highly paid quarterback comes back and has more success in 2019. Everything he's talking about is, how can I stop these offenses? What can I do? And it's not healthy one bit. Um, but he, the weird thing with, with him is, so he stressed does not eat. Most coaches stress <laughs> stress eat. Like Childress yeah. gain weight. Asterix Andy Reid always Reed gains weight. Yeah. Parcells gain weight. Those guys ordinarily go to the buffet table and as a stress reliever chow down. This guy said, I had my secretary start, or, or she, she start, took it upon yeah, herself she to start bringing him food because he was withering away. Yes, yes. And the only reason why we knew he, he lost weight was his daughter said, my dad's so stressed, he is, is not eating properly now. Right. That's why we knew that. What do you think, what do you think it was with Denny in 98? Because remember Denny lost a lot of weight? In '98, the Big 15 in one season. I think he went on a diet on purpose. I though. thought was it? I think that was, was that? healthy. Did he have? I thought he had the the surgery. No, he the wasn't. No, okay. no, I don't think he was All that right. bad at okay. the time. All right, but he. I think he went on a diet that was healthy. But and then lost he gained weight. Then he gained it back. Like oh, 
a year or so later. Because we all do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, unfor- that's yeah, the unfortunate unique thing. Because it's like, <laughs> it's like small portions. Ah, screw small portions. <laughs> what? It's, it's Target Field Food Day? Is that what you yeah, did? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's not healthy. Like, you're, you're not wrong to be concerned. Like, if you read the seriously, if you read this article and you put, like, name an addictive substance, cocaine, or name an addictive behavior, like gambling, whatever the case might be. If you just replaced every time he talked about coaching with one of those words, you'd be like, this is a guy who needs help. Yes. This is a man who needs somebody to step in and give him help. If I am not mistaken here, and, and this is not to make light of this at all. But I believe when his wife passed away during the course of the 2009 season and Mike was the uh, defensive coordinator for the Bengals, I don't think he missed a game. I think they played the Chargers that Sunday and he coached. I do. I remember that. But I mean, I that was, I was like, it, I saw that story at the time. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Your wife I remember did. the scene in the locker room afterwards. They gave him the game ball. I know, but nobody. Down, but team rallied around him. And nobody would blame you if you said, sorry, guys, I can't do right. it this week. Yeah. But he coached in that game. And, and, and I think two weeks after that, they played here in the Metrodome against the Vikings. But that was the first time that I saw something about this guy and said, okay, that's, that's a lot. You know, your wife just dies. And it, it was sudden. Right. She, she died very suddenly. And so. So I saw that story at the time and thought, "Whoa, that is that is something." Not to get like too, uh, I don't know, philosophical or deep here, but do you think he could be a better coach if he pulled back a little bit? Like anybody, like if you go to like a life coach or somebody like that, or even a therapist, they tell you that balance will make you the best version of yourself that you can be. Like when you. When you grind on something and wear and like to the point where you're physically and mentally wearing yourself out, you're actually making yourself worse yeah, you're right. at that thing than you would be if you had a little bit of balance in your life I think and you he, were able to step away from that thing every once in a while. I think I think if, if he I think he could make himself if he could do that a better head coach, but not a better defensive coach. And I think if you were to sit. Zimmer down and get him full of wine and say, what do you really want? He would say, I want to be the best defensive coach I can be. So the answer to your question is yes, as a head coach, because if you took a step back, I think people would be like, oh, okay, this makes sense. But I think his goal in life is to stop offenses. That's it. I I think when he gets to the pearly gates someday, he's going to say, I did the best I, I could. And God's going to be like, yeah, what? And he's going to say, I stopped offense. Do you think uh, Kubiak being here now and sort of being more of an overseer of offense might actually help him with that, you know, with whatever stress that may be, you know, contributing to this obsession or anything like that? Not one bit. Nope, nope. I think this takes takes offense off his plate entirely, basically, which which he, he wants. But I think his stress and workload and inability to back away is all based on defense. And I think what makes it worse now is offenses are getting better and better and better and and coming up with more and more and more. And his life's work is to stop that. But I wonder if not having to stress as much over the offense will make him a better overall head coach. I think he gets mad about the offense. I don't think he stresses as much as, as we think. I think that he... I think he says to to his OC, run more. And then he leaves. And when he doesn't run more, he gets mad. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he fixes it. So, so no. I If he were to back away and take a breath, I, I think as a head coach, it improves him. But that's not his goal. His goal is to be the best possible defensive coordinator slash head coach and defensive co- coordinator being the first one that right. he could possibly be. And I don't know, I know we got to go to a break in a few minutes, so I don't know if, if this is a whole nother conversation, but I, I, this wasn't a, a uh, Mike Zimmer quote, but I thought there was a really interesting quote at the end of the article, which, reading between the lines, and maybe I'm just being media guy here, Judd, but it sounded to me like Mark Wilf was saying it's put up or shut up time for Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, which is kind of weird that at the end What's of this the article where you talk about this guy dedicating his life to football and the Vikings organization, you have a quote from uh, Mark Will saying, he's a great coach and we're excited about the year ahead. We relate to him the same thing that he and Rick feel. We're not satisfied with last year. We're disappointed. We know the kind of roster we have and coach we have that we can be a championship team. 
They essentially told... They usually say that. Okay. That's right. that's a yearly thing. Uh, now, now I do believe that the pressure is on both those guys in a big way this coming year. Uh, but that, we think we've got a great team and a championship roster is pretty much their yearly stance. Okay, because me... That's not new. Not being as familiar yeah. with the Wilfs as you, I look at that and I see an owner, and you're probably right, but again, reading between the lines and being media guy, an owner who's saying... Look, we've done everything we can to put a championship roster out here, and yeah. we've given you all the support staff. Now it's time to win. Now it's time to win, or we're going to have to f- find somebody else who maybe can't I think win. that might be true, but but they've been saying this about a championship roster probably for five years. Like okay. they, they love that line. So I'm reading too much into it. Championship, I'm being too media Championship guy-ish. organization. They <laughs> love that line. That's a will standard by now. <laughs> Speaking of the Vikings and how they win uh, a championship and Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer's future with the team, we we have lots of uh, Vikings news and notes to get to here in the final segment of Purple Daily. And the NFL is trying to kill Judd's dream and the AAF. That's all coming up next on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Spring is finally here. Time to start thinking about your summer getaways. Bid on fantastic summer vacation packages from Jellystone Park and Warren's Lodging in Warren's, Wisconsin. Enjoy outdoor amenities such as Yogi Bear's Water Zone, the Yogi Bear Theater, mini golf, beach, and, and daily activities. Go to scorenorth.com, keyword auction to bid. Auction ends tonight at 8 p.m. Thank you, Manny. It's Purple Daily on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. If you want to hear this uh, this show or any of our fine Vikings programming, just search Score North Vikings. That's S-K-O-R North Vikings, wherever you download podcasts. We're available on Apple. We're available on iTunes. We have our own app. If you listen on that, you can win cool stuff. That's Score North Vikings. If you're looking for twins programming, Score North Twins and some Score North uh, Twins programming coming up next. Myself and Derek Wetmore with Manny alongside. We'll have a touch them all for you, getting you ready for opening day tomorrow. And tomorrow, the Score North will be broadcasting live from Kieran's Irish Pub from noon until 6 p.m. for the Twins season opener. So if you're not going to the game, stop by Kieran's have a few pops with us and uh, watch the game. It'll be noon to six. So we'll have a two hour touch them all. We'll have uh, Score North Live with Matthew Collar and then Mackie and Judd with Rami all live from Kieran's Irish Pub tomorrow from noon until six for the twin season opener. It's sold out too now. Officially, the, the twins announced this afternoon that the or this morning that the game is sold out. I was at the park yesterday, Judd, for a Target Field Food Day. <laughs> well aware, yes. And uh, a, a food aside, I just, I just sort of, I, I had to take a break and get some fresh air for a minute, and just, just stood at the banister and looked over the railing at Target Field as the grounds crew got it prepared. They had the opening day graphics up on the big jumbotron above the scoreboard, and I got, I got that feeling, you know, that feeling that you get every year when the you're baseball like, feeling, yeah, like oh, okay, this is it, this is, it's time. It's a great feeling. It's such a good feeling, especially after this winter. Such a good feeling so come yes you appreciate it it more after this winter i thought target field may be buried in snow at this point so thank god and uh come celebrate that feeling with us tomorrow noon to six at kieran's irish pub we had some vikings news yesterday we thought we should uh, touch on here on purple daily rick spielman apparently received an extension through 2020 just like mike zimmer did with vikings ownership saying mark wilf specifically saying they wanted to have their contracts synced up which I'm not surprised by, Judd. No. Um, and I think it's the right move. I think you should sync up your GM and your coach because I don't like saddling a new GM with a coach or vice versa. Um, but I don't think this gives... It didn't give Mike Zimmer any more job security when they gave him through 2020 contractually. And I don't think it gives Rick Spielman any more job security, giving him a contract through 2020. It's, it's put up or shut up time for this Vikings organization. And I have a feeling that if this season doesn't go the way that the Wilfs want it to go, mm-hmm. there will be a new GM and a new coach here before next season. What this does is it makes it abundantly clear that uh, they are are tied at the hip, basically. And if they win, they both get extensions, probably three years or so, right? Yep. And if they lose, I would... My inclination is if they don't make the playoffs, they're both gone. No, I'm not positive. The Wilfs are pretty loyal, and, and I think they like this duo a lot, but... When you invested, when when two guys are tied t- together like Rick and Mike are, and at least one, if not both of them, agreed to invest uh, $84 million guaranteed o- over three years in a quarterback, that's a lot there. I mean, w- when you go to, to the Wilson and say, Case Keenum took us to the 
conference title game, but we've got a guy now who we're pretty convinced can take us to that game and win that game, and then you don't make the playoffs. Uh, I got to believe that if this that if these guys don't make the playoffs and perhaps win a postseason game, but certainly make the playoffs, that uh, there might be changes, and it won't be one; it'll be both. Yeah, I think they. they I think like you said, they're say. attached at the hip. They're handcuffed, and for better or worse, those those two are handcuffed as far as the Vikings organization goes. And this is put up or shut up. Time. And if Mike and if Mike fails, and if they don't win, and and Mike is fired, I'm paying them four million dollars a year to be my defensive coordinator. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I'm not being. You know I'm he not might, being a smart aleck. And he I might think he just would take, take that job. Well, how how much do you think Kubiak is getting? I think Kubiak broke the bank. Here, yeah, I, no, think I agree. Pay, I think they're paying him like for some, for that position relative yes. to that position. Yes, but but I I would not be surprised if he is at a rate that, that you would say wow about mm-hmm. if you saw saw his salary, which you obviously won't, uh, based on the fact that I think these guys who don't necessarily want to continue to be head coaches but are great on one side of the football or at least perceived to be great do really well. I would not be surprised if Gary Kubiak's salary is. Is uh is a figure that we would be impressed by? Do you think he's being paid as if he is quote unquote co head coach? I think he's probably getting close. Like head coach offense. The Wilfs. The the one thing that we know is these people will spend and spend and spend, and and the salary cap means that there is a ceiling on what you can spend on players, but there is no ceiling on coaches. So yes, I would not be surprised. I think they they gave him the uh, the assistant head coach title because they are paying him something pretty close to what a lot of coaches might expect. That would not surprise me one bit. And I I predicted and write that down. Gary Kubiak will be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings before twenty nineteen. But you think that? with the health problems for Kubiak? Yeah, I mean he's had strokes. Yeah, he's, he's had he's had. I, I I get the feeling that he's probably. I don't know if the doctors. Would advise him being a a head coach again, but I think in in the role he's in right now is probably pretty smart. Right? I don't think you get if you're Gary Kubiak and you've been to the mountaintop, you don't get you back. Just, you don't get back in the game to. You might be right. Be a meddling assistant. You might be right. You know what I mean? So you're going to go from Zim, who, who you're very concerned about right now, to Kubiak, I'm who you say, will be very. I'm concerned not saying about. he should. I'm saying that the uh, uh, Kubiak apparently from his past health problems, which apparently were were linked to his his job and the stresses of it. They seem to be very similar in that way, and I and I don't think anybody has rewired Gary Kubiak. I Maybe think he's right. I think he's probably still a guy who thinks you know what I can do this and I want to do this. I, you don't you don't do you don't accomplish what he accomplished and then go up into a front office and come back to coaching without an eye on coaching at a high level and being a head coach at some fair. point, right? I would just probably say, you know what, stay on offense. <laughs> Coach offense, Gary, because di- didn't he? If you're his doctor, didn't yeah. Co- di- didn't he collapse on, on the sideline while yes. coaching the Texans? Yeah, I think so. Like yeah. he just sort of keeled, and you're like, "Ooh, that's not good." So anyway, but you're probably right, Rami. The other thing that uh, I want to touch on before we get to the NFL trying to kill Judd's dreams and the AAF was uh, Mike Zimmer's comments about Xavier Rhodes yesterday. Do we have those, Manny? Uh, we do. Let me get that queued up, and here it is. Xavier needs to play better. He needs to play better. I'm going to make sure that he plays better because those guys are important in our defense and what we do. And so it's partly my job to make sure that he plays better. I, I just don't think he played as well as he can play. And he needs to play up to his uh, ability level, and I need to make sure that he does that. We're paying him a lot of money. He needs, he needs to play up to that contract. He hasn't lost speed. He hasn't lost athletic ability. He's kind of gotten away from his technique a little bit, and, and we're going to get back to it. All right. So I we talked about this on the show on Tuesday, and I said I wanted to hear this because, mm-hmm. because I read the quotes at the time, and it's tough to interpret what the person is saying without the tone. One, the question I believe to Mike was about defensive backs, and he took it and swayed it towards Rhodes. I will stick by, and and while I agree with the point that you made about it's interesting to go down the uh, contractual path and, and how much a player makes, I'll stick by what I said yesterday, though, which is I am very convinced that, that among the players that Zim takes great pride in developing and feeling a responsibility for, Rhodes is atop that list because 
Xavier Rhodes was a first-round pick who was a nice player when Mike got here, but he was certainly not a Pro Bowl player. And Mike worked with this guy day and night. And what I'm hearing there is, is right or wrong, Zimmer feels that he played a large role in getting Rhodes that contract, which he probably did. And I'm also hearing a guy who who is convinced because he believes that he's such a good coach that he can get the guy back to the mountaintop on which he was in 2017. I'm not sure that's true. But I don't hear him attacking him for the contract. I think Mike sees himself as attached at the hip to Rhodes as he does to Rick. That I'm hearing a guy who is essentially saying, I got him to the top for a while. He has down a couple pegs from that, and and he needs to get back there because you hear a lot of I there. I was just going to say that. It's I can do this. Because I need to do that. He's not saying Rhodes was really disappointing, and I don't know what happened. He's essentially saying right. I get, I'm get. i going to get him back there. That's an interesting tone to take. He's taking ownership of maybe taking some ownership with where like yeah. Rhodes is back and saying I, I, I'm – it's my responsibility to get him back to the level that he was at in 2017. Because yesterday, when we talked about the quotes on Mackie and Judd with Rami, weekdays, 4 to 6, here on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. When again? I, 4 to 6, weekdays, Score North. And tomorrow we're where? Scorenorth.com. Tomorrow we'll be broadcasting live from Kieran's Irish Pub from noon until 6 p.m. for the Twin Season Opener. So if you don't have tickets, stop on by, have a few pops, and watch the game with your friends from Score North. But as I was saying, I actually literally just forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah, yesterday on Mackie and Judd with Rami. <laughs> When we were talking about this, I said it rubbed me the wrong way yep. that he brought up the contract because what I always thought was an unwritten rule in NFL and really professional sports locker rooms and then was later confirmed for me when I worked with former professional athletes was that you stay out of another man's pocket mm-hmm. and don't talk about what another man is making and whether it's too much or whether it's too little for the performance that they're giving you. That's just not something that you do, not even just in your own locker room. You don't even do that about guys elsewhere in the league because at the end of the day, you're all one big club. And when you talk about another man's money, that can always come back around to you and somebody saying, well, you're overpaid too. And now you're, now you're getting into muddy waters. So that rubbed me the wrong way that he brought up the money, but hearing it because yesterday I just read the quotes from some hack columnist Judd Zulgad at scorenorth.com <laughs> never yeah, heard of this not, guy. Not reliable, not and good. It, it, not good in all. those quotes there weren't as so many eyes it. as there were in that soundbite right there. And I, I heard Mike Zimmer and I'm just joking, Judd. A lot of people do that with the quotes. <laughs> he can only put in so much. But I'm very hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so negative, Judd. I'm very hurt. negative, Judd. I'm very hurt. But it wasn't him <laughs> saying he needs to he needs to play better because right. because of what we're paying him. He's saying I need to get more out of him because of what we're paying. He owns the the drop off and play for Xavier Rhodes as much as he's putting it on Xavier Rhodes. So that. That changes it for me. I'd still prefer he didn't bring up the money, though, to be quite honest with you. I'd, Which makes sense. Right. Because I, I, I do, don't disagree. I do think that that has the potential to rub a player the wrong way. And a player who, if you're going to keep him on this roster, you can't afford to rub the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think Mike Mike sees himself as being, and, and he's right to a certain degree, an integral part of Rhodes' development. But, yeah, I I get your point. I don't disagree but I don't think that he was approaching the contract from the standpoint of saying he's a bust. I got the idea that he basically is saying, I helped you get that contract, and therefore I need to help you get back to where you were. Right. Yeah. Alliance, go yeah. go to what they're doing to my damn league before we're done. So, Judd's they're favorite football league, league the we first year Alliance of American Football's inability, as I read from USA Today, is to secure cooperation from the NFL Players Association to use young players from NFL rosters has put the AAF in danger of folding Tom Dundon, the league's majority owner, told USA Today Sports on Wednesday, if the players union is not going to give us young players, we can't be a development league, said Dundon, who invested $250 million into the league in February. This is the guy who loaned them the money when they couldn't pay the their players. This is the guy that owns the uh, Carolina franchise in hockey. He said, we are looking at our league. options, one of which yep. is discontinuing the league. You deserve that. When you gave $250 million to an organization that couldn't cut checks for their players, you deserve to lose every penny of that and for this thing to fold. But but my idea is exactly right. Why can't we get X amount of players 
that are allocated from the National Football League to the Alliance. And players you need official. I'm right. The, the NFL had no official response to the accusations that their lack of cooperation is prompting the AF to fold. However, a players union official did express serious concerns about the risks of lending active NFL players to the AAF. The official requested anonymity because of the super sensitive you know nature what? of the issue. The person said the union is founded on the belief that using active NFL players and practice squad members for the AAF would violate the terms of the CBA and the restrictions that prevent teams from holding mandatory workouts and practices throughout the offseason. The NFLPA is one of the most backwards, awful groups of all time. They're incompetent. <laughs> they are. They they need to strike so badly. They do, they represent their uh, their members so poorly. And this is the hill that they're going to go up and attempt to die on, trying to get. Young players' experience, which, by the way, they should do. It would help players. Mm-hmm. It would help quarterbacks. These these jokers basically went on strike. What four years back, or or they 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 forced a lockout five years back or so in March. They thought that oh, and so the NFL was out like during mini camps. Free agency started really late, or this might have been eight years ago. Anyway, 2011, I think. These yeah. people, these people are idiots. The union's a complete joke, and their big thing you is know what? the alliance this is next, developmental league. This next point that the anonymous uh, union rep uh, made, he said, the additional concern on the NFLPA's part is that if an NFL player played in the AAF and suffered a serious injury, that player would face the risk of missing an NFL season and lose a year of accrued experience, yeah, I can fix which that. carries financial ramifications and pension ramifications for players. I can fix that. How's um, that? Uh, Allow X amount of guys from each team to be allocated to the alliance, AAF, okay? And those players are then covered by the National Football League. So if they get hurt, they're compensated and they're not caught and it doesn't cost them a year. It's called a negotiation. The NFLPA has no idea. They get pushed around at every turn and now they're coming back against a league that actually could allow for development and they're pushing back. They have no clue what they're doing. They are idiots. Instead, let's t- bring in Johnny Manziel. I told, Johnny Manziel I told Jerome Felton once in the studio, I said, why do you pay dues? You're just getting screwed. Just keep yeah. your money. Don't pay dues to these jokers. Like, all you got to do is allocate five guys per team, right? Those guys then get protection from the National Football League. So go back to the league and say, we need protection for these five guys. They're under contract to the Packers, the Giants, the Bills, blah, blah, blah. Right? And if they get hurt, they are then taken care of. Shouldn't they just? At, shouldn't they just look at what the NBA is doing with the G League and yes, follow that model? I just, I, I, it drives me crazy when weak unions like this push back on something that makes sense because they're mad because the people above them push them around like crazy. But it would take some concessions from the sure. owners too to give some of these. But they need to go on strike. Securities that you're talking but about. The PA the needs to strike. They're getting screwed at every turn. I agree. But they got these 53rd guys on the roster that can't give up their paychecks, and so they, they don't want to strike. That's Judd Zolgad. He's going to go and mourn the uh, se- se- seeming pending death of the AAF. Manny Hill on the other side of the glass. I'm Rami Makloff. This has been Purple Daily. Find us by searching Score North Vikings, wherever you download podcasts. Touch them all next. Getting you ready for opening day right here. Score North, 1500 and scorenorth.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.